All right, this is the one, man. This is the this is the big. To I, I I am frightened by this topic. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you're just shaking in your hipster boots this over there. This is the kind of topic that oh zipper zipper boots. If I were listening, I would just clench my inner organs because it's gonna be. Yeah, this one's gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. Clench. Well, especially gonna hurt because I, I I don't necessarily know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> but in this instance, I I'm like filled with a kind of Pente Pentecostal fervor. Like, uh, you ever seen these YouTube videos of people that claim to be within a prophetic flow state? Uh, no. Can you guess what that means? I can totally then see Jacob, it. Jacob, I'm in a prophetic flow state, Whoa. and I know nothing, and I'm ready. <laughs> Welcome to the New Polity Podcast, everybody, where Jacob and Mark talk to you about how to make a million dollars. That's right. And if you haven't made it yet, you haven't been listening hard enough. That's right. So keep listening. We are going to talk today about the nature of money. Yeah. Put your freaking thinking caps on, boys. Because this is going to hit you. Yeah. And we're not talking about lions and bears. Trees or bushes. Forget that. We're talking about essences. What's an essence? Well, I'll tell you. It's that without which a thing would not be what it is. <laughs> but the thing about Did you bring money, me coffee? I made you coffee. Can you... Where is it? it I put it on the piano. I you said, hey, me. it's over there. All right, listen. Descri I'm going to run down. <laughs> you have that much time... To describe... To describe money. No, 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 Okay, you have to come back tough. for that. <laughs> okay, okay. Introduce us. Ready? Okay. Here's well, this is this is the tricky no. thing. All right, now he's gone. Here is the thing about money. Is that it doesn't actually have a proper essence. That means that when God created trees, he made trees in such a way that it has a natural essence. If it didn't have a particular thing, it wouldn't be itself. But with money, because we invented it. Has he been talking about trees? Yeah, I have been talking about trees. But because we have invented money, it doesn't have a proper essence. Oh. But there are certain things about it where we could identify it. Even to the point where if you go to an old museum and you see coins from some ancient period, doesn't matter which one. You wouldn't just say, oh, look, there's a whole pile of gold right there. You would say, oh, that's money. So there's always something kind of phenomenologically that we can identify yeah. money as mm -hmm. that, recognize, that helps us to recognize what it is. But that doesn't mean that you don't have different types of money. And that, that's something I think is important because what you find, sneak preview, the scholastics completely change the nature of money. They do. It's it is so cool. I mean, this is like, this is a as much a story. How do I put it? You know how we sometimes say things like all things are redeemed in Christ. I think we tend to mean that in like a really vague way, like you know, the whole of it. Mm -hmm, it all goes mm -hmm, up. Mm -hmm. That's true. However, it's also true that every particular institution, insofar as it is good, is redeemed in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Right, and money. Mm -hmm. Which has a very tenuous hold on the good, I would say. Yeah, very, very tenuous. Yeah. The history of Christianity is one in which money is covered by the blood of Christ and comes out changed. And I don't mean it comes out changed. <laughs> that was garbage. That was worth a shot, though. You never know if a pun is going to be good until you've said it. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, so money. Um, l l let's start from a real basic sense. Like, I... How do we recognize it? Yeah. 
first so that we can really then dig into what it is essentially. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about this in our podcast entitled, insert title of that podcast here, um, but it's one of the first ones on money and how to make a lot of it as we do in ever, all of our podcasts. We get that bread. We get that cabbage. Uh, West Coast, baby. West Coast. But here's the thing about about money and its origins is that it is something that is faceless, that is a pure and utter perfected commodity that serves as a measure to evaluate all things. And you find this in the ancient pagan rituals because you find there that it doesn't matter the quality of the ox that you sacrifice to Zeus, it matters about the quantity of them that, that happens. And you find this great undoing of this cycle um, in the Levitical Code where it is a particular unblemished lamb that must be slaughtered. So you're looking for this sheet, this thing, all year long, waiting for that one unblemished lamb to appear in amongst your flock yeah and so what jacob's pointing out and if you've been following us you probably you're probably tracking with him pretty closely is that money has a quantifying function yeah. right which is different than the world which everything is qualitative everything is something god didn't create a faceless nameless thing quantity he created stuff this is the thing about money is that it quantifies what is inherently qualitative it takes that beautiful coffee mug that you love so much in the early morning that gives you hope and inspiration for the rest of your day and it turns it into something that costs Mm $6.99 and that $6.99 can be equated to anything else you know a, a a cheap book that you get at a used bookstore is also $6.99. And all of a sudden, two unlike things are likened to one another. And really what it truly and fundamentally does, it commensurates the incommensurable. It says that that shirt and that lamp, wow, which are nothing the same, are all of a sudden the same Mm -hmm. in terms of number value. Um, it really wipes the face of something away. Yeah, which is uh, you begin to understand why, um, in kind of the ancient Jewish uh, reflection on these things, they generally gave money a bad rap. You, you got to understand that the Jews are doing something fundamentally different, or, or rather, something fundamentally different is being done to the Jews mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. by their God, our God, and one of those. Um, things that one of the ways that this comes up is there's a tradition, a kind of um, tradition of the elders that no blessing comes in matters of counting in matters of measuring. So when things are being brought into the world of numbers that, and, and they're speaking very kind of esoterically, it's a little bit strange, but basically that like God's blessing hand is not actually on those activities. And the way, and this sort of almost taboo, really, um, comes to a kind of more fuller um, climax when in the old law, there's a ban on the census. So a census is obviously um, a kind of modification, as it were, of, of man in that you treat everyone as a number. Um, and you count them all so you know how many people you have as a mass, as a number. Right, so um, just as you could have a massive wad of cash in your pocket, right. which then you have the potential to go out and buy 
uh, quite a number of different things. If you have a mass of people that you count, then you can wield them all as an army. As an so army. In both and also cases, exchange them for each other. So like yeah. uh, David, when he's justifying having um, Uzziah, Uzziah? Uriah? Uriah. Uriah killed, says the sword consumes one, now it consumes another. So like right. part of his sin is that a reduction of the qualitative to the quantitative. That, right. That these are now exchangeable units. Um, yeah. For the sake of having power. For the sake of power. Actually. Yeah. In both cases, money, army, soldiers, it's potential. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so far, okay. We, we, we went on a strange path there, but basically what, what we said is that money mm -hmm. allows us to make the incommensurable, commensurable? Yeah. Well said. saying those words, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have this thing, surely you have it too, of red words. It's words that I've only ever read and then suddenly find myself having to say yeah, them aloud for the first time. And yeah. It's like everything it's always slows so embarrassing. down. <laughs> <sighs> well, but you even find this in in, uh, in the old, or in like um, the Code of Hammurabi, the Mesopotamian thing. Where'd your coffee go? You went to go get your oh, coffee. Got right. You got it. Okay. Code of Hammurabi. He says that uh, if, if a man gouges out his eye, an, an eye of another man, then he owes him a talent of silver. Mm. So all of a sudden, like you see that he, he's equating eye equals talent of silver. I can't remember exactly what the number is, but maybe a mina or something like that. Half a mina. I think it's a half a mina of silver. Um, whereas in the Levitical code, it's eye for an eye. It's like the qualitative for the qualitative. And oh wow! Is that I had never heard of that. So that's actually, that's actually a change. Oh yeah, that's definitely a change. You know, that's fascinating yeah. because I, I had heard I've heard the kind of narrative that oh the eye for an eye thing is itself like the pagan thing. I've even heard the the comparison to the code of Hammurabi that is like still present in the law and then gets redeemed. But mm. you're actually saying that, no, even in the initial giving of the law to the yeah. depraved Jewish people, there was already a step towards its redemption by taking away money yeah, that's as right. the medium of exchange and actually making it an eye and an eye. Yeah. That's, that's <sighs> awesome. Yeah, that's absolutely. So cool. The return to reality is yeah. what, what God is trying to do in the Levitical cold code and then ultimately is fulfilled in christ sorry nerds god doesn't like numbers <laughs> <laughs> and uh and you know and this is actually quite funny i'll you know a guy that we'll talk about at some point in, in, in a scholastic that i very much admire is a guy named nicole Arem, who gives a bad rap because scholars are idiots and uh but he he when he wants to call something stupid he'll call it imaginative mathematics <laughs> So we'll call it poetic fiction and, and imaginative mathematics when he wants to insult something and say he's like, it's abstract, it's distance from reality. It's not the way that God created it. That's nice. Like but let's, let's jump ahead a little bit because okay. we've been, I want to give people the juicy stuff. And here's okay. the big claim. that money itself in its origins is, and as it is today, is an anti-sacrament. Mm. So, and there are certain benefits to money which are undeniable, and that's why it existed, if not was suffocated in the in Christendom, as it was suffocated, the use of money, that is, uh, in the Levitical code of ancient Israel. Um, and yet it was still had certain purposes, and it was desacramentalized mm, in those. Okay. But we'll get to how they did that. We first need to justify that it was sacramentalized in the first right, place. absolutely. And part of the way is that... It was a perfect commodity by which the entire world could be 
translated into its likeness. Okay, so so I see that as a like particularly sacred quality. Like mm-hmm. I can see how that would follow, but why sacrament? Why why do we use that term? Yeah, so sa- sacrament bespeaks an external side of some internal interior grace, invisible grace, um, as as the catechism puts it, and and so it signifies what it affects. That's that's the real or affects thing. Affects what it signifies. As it's <laughs> Sorry, heresy, heresy. Yeah, it it affects what it signifies, and what you find with money is that that is exactly what happens when mm, yeah. I reach around the counter and around it and I grab it. No, that doesn't make sense. Over. over. When Thank I you. hand over the counter a dollar bill Thanks. and you give me a small on sale bag of popcorn from our local popcorn shop. We have a popcorn shop. It's awesome. Uh, email us if you want a bag of popcorn. We'll send you one. It'd be great. Uh, and at that point, what is happening? There is this exchange, a sacramental exchange of a uh, power that is, uh, it, it is literally affecting what is signified. What is, what is being signified? The ability, purchasing power, to put it crassly, sure. the ability to purchase whatever you want. Um, at the very moment that it is signified it is affecting that power yeah right um and of course it's 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 impotent money is literally impotent if it's not being used yeah although what's i think fascinating is that what makes that sign Mm -hmm. of value efficacious Mm -hmm. Um, if you're talking about an actual sacrament Mm -hmm. say like the eucharist Mm -hmm. right then the words of the priest um are made actually efficacious Mm -hmm. um like when he says this is my body the bread is actually transformed uh into the body of christ that um that is the power of god yeah it's the act of god Mm. right the interesting part is that with money, you have to somehow say it's kind of a quasi-sacrament because yeah, absolutely. the appearance of what's going on there is like, wow, this thing that's really just a piece of paper mm-hmm. suddenly has the efficacy to to place a debt on the person I give it to. Like they they exactly. feel and must give me the thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In that system. Yeah. But if you actually say like, but is it real? Must they? Then yeah. you have to say, well, okay, no, they yeah. don't have to. Te- it's not like the Eucharist. It's not really. Yeah. But they don't have to technically recognize it, I guess. But then your mind starts going, well, what would happen? Well, ultimately, they'd be killed. <laughs> now, you might say that's a jump, but I think it's right. Like if you mm-hmm. refuse, right, then ultimately you're committing an act which the state deems illegal. Yes. And so it's important. I mean, it's important to point this out because when we say sacramental, we can sort of start to sound like what we're saying is like money has this like like i don't know like dualist like it's from some other force it's magical you know yeah. i don't know why i sound like trump when i when i try to be dumb it's magical Man, it's it's very i can't do it uh, <laughs> um but but that's not what we're saying actually it it, it lo- it's precisely that it looks magical it feels magical it feels yeah. like something real is happening there yeah but what's really happening is um the power of the state well yeah it's just us changing our minds yeah like there's a there's yeah 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 and and this is this is really important where um again you find all these scholastics pointing out 
that when a king wields an army or, um, oh man, there's so many examples, actually. It's just hard to even put them all together. But when, when, a, when, a, when a king in some way tells his people what to do yeah. in any situation, uh, that, that they are buying into the narrative that he is, he's telling about reality. So, I mean, what does it take to put it, make it really clear for a, a good boy from Kansas to travel thousands of miles away to go kill people that he does not know? Hmm. At that point, he has a strong political imagination. Mm-hmm. He has totally bought in to what people whom he does not know tells him about people whom he does not know. Sure. Yeah. And he drastically changes his life in order to affect it. Yeah. So this could be, you know, true or false, good or bad or something. But, but in the worst case scenarios, it's very, very bad. Right. And it doesn't correspond to reality. It's imaginative, imaginative mathematics, you know, at that point. Mm -hmm. And, and that is really what happens when most of us look at money. We, we, you know, we might get a, like a tingling feeling of thinking like, oh, don't, don't flush that down the toilet. That's so valuable, you know, or, and, but in reality, it's like, it's completely valueless. It's absolutely worthless. But because of the declaration that the state has made over it, this is legal tender. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's rendered into something else, right. and its effect takes place yeah. the very moment it, when it's handed over and the there, And there's a real analogy. It really goes the other way around, but a, but a comparison to be made between the priest saying the efficacious words, this mm-hmm. is my body, and the state saying its efficacious words, this is legal tender. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, In mm-hmm. both cases, what's signified becomes what's effective. Mm-hmm. Although what the difference is, is that in the sacrament of the Eucharist, the incarnation means that God really enters the real. It is real. Yeah. Whereas it's quasi-real in the case of the state because it is enforced. Yeah. It's enforced yeah. that it be the case that that this money is good for all debts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's also it bespeaks the presence of the of the of the sovereign, whoever, whomever that might power. be, the political power. And this is actually something that is not by no means a new insight. The, yeah. the church fathers, oh my gosh, you could just go off on a litany of all of them. They used the analogy of emperor to coin to, to talk about God, the father and God, the son, Wow. that he, that God, the father sends his son yeah. into the world to be present amongst us, yep. to give his face to show his face mm. to the world to evoke his power and to enact his power so that your life your literally your social order the way that you act behave think and feel changes with the presence of Jesus Christ and so it is with coinage wow so augustine does this saint john chrysostom does this uh ephraim does this uh certainly um Eusebius does this. Uh, I mean, uh, Heronius does this. I mean, you you just go off on on a very long list, and it's and I just did, and <laughs> uh, and it's it's no endorsement of coinage. Yeah, sure. And that's really important. Is yeah. that just because they're making a simile to it does not mean that they like it. Well, right, but it also doesn't not mean that in the sense that like what 
the fullness of the discussion we hope would bring would what does a redeemed money look like? Is it even possible? Yeah. So, it, but we have a lot. We got a long way to go. But, but really, that's that's the thing about coinage is that it it literally does bring the will of the political power um, into your everyday life. Okay, describe that simply, because I I don't think that most people who yeah, take I, their credit card and go like this. Think, oh, I'm bringing the will of the political power. <laughs> no, and, it, and by it, political power, what do they mean? Like Biden? I don't know. It, yeah, no, that's, that's it's a really good point. Um, really, what it what it bespeaks is that when you treat something that is worthless as worthwhile, something valueless as valuable, mm-hmm. oh. such as paper money, then what you're doing is is actually bringing life to the hope. Of your political powers because they hope that you'll use their money uh, for various reasons. We'll get into that. And you willingly understand the world to be as the political power says. Something valueless is being valuable now. Absolutely. And you're not treating the natural world as profoundly what it is. Right. Um, You do... You you believe the fiction. Yeah, and you that you is and what makes it efficacious. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so important. Like the the fact that you believe it and then live it out in a sense makes it real. You know what's fascinating about that? Mm-hmm. Just to give a little theological uh, little nudge in the side to the prots. Um, that's actually <laughs> love you. more like yeah, we do love you. Uh, Luther's description of how a sacrament uh, works. So yeah. here's the take because I'm just coming up with it, just speedballing here. I've had my shot of coffee. Wait, where'd it go? <laughs> it's there. It's really? There. I don't it's think so. Yeah. So, and I know there's all sorts of different, and you, you'd be better at this, like exactly how transubstantiation works or does not work in uh, the various denominational readings of it. But within Luther's writing, at mm-hmm, least, I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily saying like Lutheran doctrine because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. But within his writings, a lot of the time you get this tension where he keeps saying things like, it is the belief of the Christian that makes the thing efficacious. Mm-hmm. Um, that that he's sort of sucking out the kind of objectivity yeah. of the sacrament, and with in a way like he's motivated in a good way because he's saying like because it's the faith, like he 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 wants there to be faith in the heart of believers, but he tends to make that faith the thing that makes the sacraments efficacious. Right. You know, and, and Which, with all, with all yeah. fiction, falsehoods, there's, there's a truth to it. Sure. And it's, if the priest is not saying the words of mm. institution with a faithful heart and with true faith in the words and having been ordained to, to do that, then, then it's false. Then, it, then it's, that's it, it. There's no conversion. Transubstantiation does not, does not occur really yeah i didn't know that yeah well what i'm interested in this particular if he doesn't case, intend yeah, to yeah. do what the church oh, does yes yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which, which is a faith yeah you know absolutely. which is a faith element absolutely. yeah yeah so so yeah let's so what be i want to say is like what, what's interesting is that the, the lutheran position actually fits better with the way that money works oh absolutely way, yeah because once once a priest has prayed over the the host it is what it is that's Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not. Yeah, and it will con- it, unto your condemnation if you eat it, him unworthily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Whereas, if it's only efficaciously him, if it's only true insofar as you believe, then it's a lot like that. Money is only efficacious insofar as we are conformed 
to the will of the sovereign. Yeah. That it be efficacious. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I used to have a friend who would like leave wads of cash around because he just didn't care about it. Which Again, is hilarious. We need to just talk about your friends. It's like, <laughs> have they all abandoned you since you became Catholic and, and told them to give their money away? Because like, I don't see wads of cash anywhere. <laughs> well, they, they all became Catholic too, but no. I, they haven't really heard me tell them that they should give their money away okay. yet. All right, so guys. there's abandonment might be coming. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Ouch. Uh, well, came for Christ, I suppose. Yeah. I can only hope. Um, so we're getting we're getting there. Is that the sacrament yep. um, affects what it signifies? Signifies what it affects. It can come about only by belief. It and now we're kind of in a in a tougher spot with this. Um, it brings the presence of the sovereign to where it's uh, where where the sacrament is enacted. Yes. Um, obvious. That's obvious with the Eucharist. And especially by consuming, Christ fills our hearts and we become, you know, hopefully more and more and more Christ himself, you know, in, in the in the real sense of theosis of becoming God. Um, but within the presence of money, the more and more and more you conform your life to its power and to its logic, the logic of money, you might say, is the more you're actually conformed to the logic of the sovereign, because Money is not a real thing. It's a concept. It's abstract um, uh, or artificial riches, as as this classic all, all said, Aristotle himself said. Um, but you can start to really think about the world in terms of money. So what do I mean by that? You could walk down the street and say, wow, that house is really expensive. I bet that's four hundred thousand dollars that garden's really nice i bet they had to pay a landscaper a whole lot for that dang that dog looks you know well behaved (laughs) how much did they have to pay to get those lessons for for the dog Uh, or even just so excited and you go to a store and say this is on sale and you tell your friends i can't believe how what a great price i got everything becomes translated into the logic of money which let's be clear like that might sound it might sound familiar. Like I've definitely had a lot of those experiences, Yeah, but it might also sound very foreign. Like, well, okay. Could you really like do that with everything? Don't you just enjoy a pretty day with a bluebird on the bush? <laughs> but let's just say there is a school of thought, mm-hmm. uh, the Austrian school of economics that takes this kind of totality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they don't make it like a, a bad habit. They, they just say that it is all, they, they declare it a priori. They say yeah. that every action is, really a transaction yeah 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 which has the potential to be expressed in terms of money yeah that's right and even go so far von mises is a famous one who makes this claim in his in his book human action which which does some things to redeem the worst parts of capitalism um but it does make this huge error um and he says that even you could weigh your your actions by ordinal numbers which means the, the comparative numbers so I would pay more for this than that. I would prefer this over that. And it makes everything in the world an either or and obviously transactionary, which he says explicitly. And and that gets down to the point. You could give a charitable read to this and say, well, by the order of loves, we, we do make our decisions in this world. Um, 
and you could have a preference of one thing over another of, of a true and holy value of one thing over another and and that would be a very i do think that's a charitable read because his student um, Murray Rothbart takes this so far and says, well, if everything's actually transaction, then you own your actions and own those things, decisions around you. And that means that transactions even insert themselves into the family. So he comes to this question of whether or not you can sell your kids instead of understanding that love does not have everything to do with ownership, but also duty, responsibility, um, belonging. Gift. Ultimately, gift is an at its height gift, as yeah. um, all creation is gift. So there's a so there is a huge huge predicament here, obviously, and and that is if you start to think about the world in terms of all of these exchanges, yeah. then you're in a dangerous world of money. And how, but how does that bring? the sovereign's presence. So when we say sovereign, um, we kind of mean it in a more Schmidian sense, just like whoever has the power to enforce the efficacy of money. So whoever that may be, it might be the people, it might be a particular set of people, it might be like whoever it turns out to be would be the sovereign. And I just want to know how, yeah. how, what do you mean when you say that presence is there? Because I, I think that's just so foreign to people's. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, think about it like, I'll, I'll put it in a, in a, uh, description first before I try and define it because that might be more clarifying um, where how and when you spend money is traceable hmm. um, so your when you go to the store and you buy something you it can be seen at what time you bought that for how much you bought that and the quantity of that thing that, that you bought which then can be brought back to the political powers that be, but also just the financiers, the bankers, people who are trying to make money off of your actions. And, uh, and it tells them what to invest in, mm. for instance, or even with taxes, as, as it were, is that with um, once you use money to buy land and build a home, then they're able to say they, they, they know where you live uh, and how much value you, in a sense, have. Mm -hmm. um, th so, so in, in a real sense, they are following you and in your actions, through your actions, by means of your money, precisely because they cannot know who you are personally. Mm -hmm. And so they figure out who you are um, in terms of numbers, which is, which is more the language of the state and bankers speak are enable to track at a large scale. It comes back to that whole by the census, you yeah, will be ruled I'm thing. I was going to say, it, it, it does seem like that. Um, you think about, yeah, it, it, it like we're not necessarily, I mean, we are actually counted like the, the national census. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, and that's it, really what Jesus is born right, into. Right, which we'll talk about, but yeah. it, it kind of pales in comparison to the kind of more nebulous but ever-present census by which our actions are registered. Um, not necessarily for immediate use or anything like that could be, um, mm -hmm. but everything is accounted for. Yeah. Yeah. There, uh, yeah. Everything, if everything is in a transaction and insofar as we act that way, um, we always have a kind of stream as it were of information, um, that 
can be used to to some effect operate us right especially if that money is you know here's another kind of tricky thing but fun this is really when it gets fun um but precisely when that money is operated by a central authority Mm. so if i went so this is this is actually pretty fun so if we're using just gold and silver say for for our money like not just a note that says this is worthy of gold or backed by gold or something like that yeah. but actual gold and i and i give it to you then you have a real and you give me something come on give me some uh, uh no that's fine okay uh then at that point we've had our transaction yeah which is fine which is good i you know you keep your gold at your house and you always know how much gold you have uh five pieces of gold you can leave for a while, you come back, and it's still there, and it's still the same amount. But when the state owns the gold or owns or tells you what the money is, mm-hmm. and you don't store it in stacks in your house, and there's various reasons why you wouldn't wouldn't do that, or in, in a real sense, like can't do that anymore. I mean, try and live a life without a bank account. Then you're always at the mercy of the bank and, and the state, which which uh, is it promissory to the to the bank itself uh, for them to tell you how much money you have? Mm. We, and and while and of course the purchasing power of that changes at an extraordinary rate. Um, I mean, really extraordinary rate. Wait, so, so, so you're saying that as a aside, but it seems more important. So yeah, when I put money in the bank. It's yeah. not necessarily worth as much when I take it out as when I put it in. Yeah. So for the last 20 years or so and longer than that, it's just as long as I've seen it, is that your purchase, the purchasing power of a dollar drops by about 10% every year. So you're, you say that the real inflation rate is 2.5% or the state says that it's 2.5%, but that's just, it's absolutely bogus. I mean, the, number, the ways in which they get to that number is hilarious. Like the prices of houses aren't calculated into that number rat poison is rat poison was super expensive during the second world war and so it's you know its price has gone down since then um it's just absolutely artificial whereas you look at like real increase in in house prices i mean take our city for instance house house prices have literally gone up by 45 percent over the last year because the state has printed so much money Mm. um and so your purchasing power with every dollar goes down. Does that gotcha. make sense? So that's so. So, like in, you... a, in a real realistic way, the money, as opposed to gold in this mm-hmm. instance or some some wealth, um, yeah. is still in the hands of the political power. Yeah, absolutely. Like in some real way. Yeah, and and, and this makes sense. It's they are the ever present priest to always tell you. Not that money is efficacious, but how how it's efficacious, to what degree it's efficacious, which is really scary um, because that gets to the point where you might be working really hard and not getting what you deserve out of out of your oh, work i mean look at like the great depression or something yeah 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 absolutely yeah no that's it's it's very we'll talk more about that when we when we get to Nicola Rem and his his treatise on money, which is the only okay. But you were saying that yeah. that you seem to suggest that 
okay, uh, just to clarify, when we talk about a sacrament, we're talking about something that affects what it signifies. So mm -hmm. when we talk about the quasi-sacramental status of money, we're saying mm -hmm. it has that power. That power, in fact, like brings the sovereign to bear on a particular transaction, mm -hmm. and it only does so insofar as we conform our minds to the mind of the sovereign, exactly. right? which says this is efficacious. Yeah, it changes the way that we right. live. So, mm -hmm. so it affects what it signifies. That, uh, it, it, it brings the presence of the sovereign to its to oneself it um which which in the same way is like in that you and i if we're doing a business transaction are united by the mutual understanding and belief in the sovereign's power in the same way that uh we you and i are actually united by the body of christ the eucharist who who brings us together sure although um, in, the, in the former case we both believe that should when we make this business transaction, should one of us cheat the other, that the power of the sovereign can be brought to bear on it and they can punish them. Yes. And whereas in our unity in the body of Christ, uh, I presume at least that that's not the, that's not the relationship. Absolutely okay, not. <laughs> Phew. Uh, it, but, uh, okay. We're but gonna, there is yeah, this, this triadic relationship yes, absolutely. and that needs to, that needs to be spoken of. And, and that's something that I'm trying to get, suggest that if, if you use some form of wealth to make transactions, even like at ultimate barter, yeah. um, you don't have that triadic relationship. It's, it's, it's biotic <laughs> at yeah, that point. It right. just involves the two of us and not, and not a third. Like dyadic is the usual word, but biotic, dyadic. Like, biotic sounds like, um, I was going to do didactic, but that just, it was coming to mind. It just wasn't the right word. <laughs> I've okay. said it anyway. It's tough. Long day. Long, Long day. Um, so, okay. So, so you, I'm tracking with you. Yeah. So you, so far we're, we have all of these different aspects of, of uh, sacramental properties coming together. Um, but the, the real kind of kicker with, with all of this is that it really does reform reality. Mm -hmm. Like creation is different with the presence of money mm -hmm. and that is exactly what the blessed sacrament does to us as well. It, it really makes our fallen state capable of living out the heavenly Jerusalem, which it brings. Mm -hmm. um, which is beautiful. It is beautiful. And so, I should point out, just in case you get called out for heresy, what you're not saying, <laughs> when you say exactly what you said, you're actually putting the weight on the reality of the sacrament. Because Absolutely. The truth is the, the quasi-sacrament doesn't actually de do these things. Nope. It really does require that Lutheran faith. It does. Like yeah. we, we are the ones that, I mean, this is something that people like Hobbes have said, like, like where does all this power come from? How does it gain its efficacy? It's like insofar as we submit. Like, Absolutely. We yep. say it does, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is not the case of the Eucharist. Yeah, it's not at all. So when, so you have all these things okay. piled together. Oh, man. And it, and it hurts. And this isn't an easy one. This is not an easy one. I'm uh, hanging on by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> uh, and, and this was, I mentioned earlier that the church fathers making the connections between the incarnation and yeah. the, of Christ and the incarnation of the emperor through his coinage. Yeah. Um, and, and of course that is, there's something, oh gosh, I, no, I'm going to have to go and leave and grab something. I'm not going to do it. But, th but this was something that uh, the Venerable Bede was really wrote very beautifully on, in which he said that, you know, Christ, 
who was born under a poll tax uh, was was counted where Christ, the true emperor, wants to name. And just as Christ snuck under the view of both the king Caesar and the king Herod, he was ultimately discovered, found by the scribes who knew Revelation, knew the scriptures, and, and by the shepherds who were with their flocks by night, dealing with reality and not by the abstract meddling of a technocratic king. <laughs> right. Um, and so this is, so there's already this, this distinction, this juxtaposition that, that the church fathers were trying to make between a form, a technique of emperors and the reality of that Christ made, that God himself made and his, his desire for unity and uh, with us, personal yeah, unity yeah. with with us, so that when it comes to Christendom and the taking over of the political order, mm-hmm. the the Christian kings did not want to make the same error yeah. of manipulation that the kings of this earth always did make. Right. So, the, like, it seems what would be fundamental would be that they could no longer. because there's now the true sacrament they cannot they have to somehow separate the money if they're going to use money from this quasi-sacramental status yeah and so one way in which money whatever the money object is whether it's seashells or gold or cattle or paper money uh becomes used considered to be valuable in in any society is if the state seems to want it which is taxes you know, so they ask for some of it back. That then motivates you to go out and get some of it so that you have some to give. Wow. Yeah, that seems really obvious, but I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this was this was a technique that you see all the time. And remember when there was a great famine in at the end of Ex, or Genesis, excuse me. And what does Pharaoh ask for first in exchange for grain? Money. Yeah. Money, silver and gold. And he didn't ask for the cattle until all the silver and gold was was given to him in all the land. Yeah. So there is this priority on on money, uh, and it's the way in which it becomes the primary mode of exchange depends itself upon a trick, as it were, of the state. Now in Leviticus, that's completely undone. We see that if you are going to pay with your your tithes in money, you're going to have to pay 20% more. So there's this disincentive to to pay with, with money. Uh, and not just a disincentive, but like because it, it's like an acknowledgement that it's not actually commensurate with reality. Yeah, exactly. Like, like if you think these two things are the same, that you can just exchange your sacrifice of a lamb for this amount of cash – yeah. Just to show you that that's not the case, you always have to change the cash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah cool. no, that's a really good point. That's a really, really great point. Commensurations are weird, and, and God wants to point that out. Uh, same thing, a similar thing happens in, uh, in Christendom where indirect taxes, that means that you give money for things you don't know what you're giving for. That's every tax that you pay in the United States uh, were considered illegal. Really? And so, and they were 
harped against and sometimes kings did it anyway sure um but it was it was absolutely anathema uh, really? among scholastics you, yeah you couldn't just take a tax oh man people would be furious if you did and sometimes they pulled it off philip v sure. you know he he really changed this whole order thing but it was condemned wow and so there was this idea that everybody had to approve in the city if there was going to be a tax taken and they had to know what it was for, whether that's building a road or supplying the army. So there was always direct taxes. You know what your money is doing and how it's benefiting your society. And there's actually some cities in Britain that still, still do this. Mm -hmm. Um, There's uh, one small town in Somerset that, uh, that will actually like send a letter to people's houses and be like, all right, we need a new road. Wow. And which is pretty cool. Well, and, and, and just I mean, this might be didn'tic but but why is it so cool be, like what, what I mean is I want to really make sure that we're tracking the way in which this quasi sacrament by which human power appears godly mm-hmm. gets transformed mm-hmm. within Christianity yeah so what does going from indirect tax in which the money taken is for any potential use by the state yep. to a direct tax how would you describe that being a redemptive move yeah I, well one thing is that okay well i have to do this by description uh you know when in uh, nebuchadnezzar's kingdom there's the the idea that you give your food to the uh to the gods and yeah. then the gods eat it yep. but then all of a sudden it's discovered that actually there's a trap door and the priests are coming up sneaking and, and grabbing yeah. the food. And so great story. It's a great story. Bedtime <laughs> reading. Solid bedtime <laughs> reading for kids. But it's hilarious because it's like, wait, that's all a, a facade. That's like, that's a big ruse. That's a joke. And it's like, there's nothing even complicated about that. It's like all the mystery is gone. Yeah. They just took it from us. Meanwhile, that's the kind of the same thing that happens when we think about taxes. Like, oh, I'm so happy to support our country that they're doing, you know, that I, I'm so, so grateful for, for our nation. And the, yeah, I'll give my taxes because I know they go to providing for good things. I don't think anyone thinks that. <laughs> I've seen priests write blogs about this and oh. I just want to tell them like you're. Oh, that might be your silly. fault for reading blogs. I shouldn't read blogs. <laughs> no, but I, I see what you're saying. So it actually demystifies it. But it demystifies. Because once it's like, okay, direct tax, it's no, yeah, there's no God, there's no secret trap door. This is being taken from you to be used for this thing that's deemed a common good. Yeah. Which is very different than saying this is being taken to increase the power, which I really mean that, like power, potency, capacity. That's exactly right. Of the state. Yes. So that when they, in fact, enact that power that Mm -hmm. they've amassed, you are much more easily distracted from where the power is coming from. Yeah. And I, I think you see this a lot. Like very few of us think like when, you know, an Apache helicopter goes by, like, oh, there goes my, the money I spent in 2018. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. And, and so you find Thomas Aquinas and again, Aram, who I know quite well say that, uh, Ooh, what do they say? Uh, totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, oh, that, that the king actually has to provide for himself. Really? That he has to actually have the capabilities of providing for mm. uh, his his for his own and for Which his family. Why in the Middle Ages, the king was always also a lord. That's exactly right. Like he'd have land. He has land. He has yeah. productive property, so that he's not poaching on the the work of other people. Right. So because then he's getting wealth without work himself through taxes yeah Yeah, when when a king needs to be the one who works or labors without reward 
is is an wow. old scholastic trope. And so he needs to habituate himself towards self-giving. And that means that he cannot have that honor to just take and take and take. He needs to himself work and work and work so that that becomes his habit, his disposition of of self-giving yeah. for his family. He's working for his family. Now he's going to be working for others. Wow. And that, and that really just kills the pagan idea of uh, kind of divine kingship. Oh, yeah, because totally. if somebody... and what people mistakenly think was the dark ages understanding of, of, oh, of oh my divine gosh. kingship yeah yeah no no i mean they, they get mixed up they get holy kingship mixed up with divine kingship yeah that's and right then, and then it weirdly becomes true later when kings leave the church behind and try to become god yeah exactly so it's, it's sort exactly. of it's a tough narrative okay but let's not let's not get too distracted so, so one other thing that's a that, great redemptive feature that's one of, of the redemptive features and so as a result i mean you, you have like the receipts that from which the, the lords receive their goods from the citizens and peasants um every every year mm-hmm. and I, I looked through it at one point in the highest i think in the 12th century that um any any lord received the, their payments in money rather than in kind uh, in the 12th or the 13th century was was 26 okay. percent so so you see all of a sudden money the use of money decreases dramatically well, okay, okay but but contextualize that so when when Jacob says in kind he means like stuff so like <laughs> yeah, wheat you're paying your taxes in chickens you're paying yeah. your taxes in, and, and this is one of the best parts of Andrew's book right is all the yeah. stories of peasants oh my like, gosh squabbling awesome. about like the four chickens they owe the Lord or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying then is that prior to this reforming activity of Christendom, mm-hmm. um, there was a push in the opposite direction, namely that taxes would be paid in money rather than kind. Oh, sorry. And that's exactly like the Pharaoh's thing. It's like, I don't want to be paid I in see. your cattle. I want to be paid in your money. And didn't you, didn't you write something in particular about the Pharisees were making this change at some point? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> the... Uh, Yes, this happened. This is most notably in Galilee during Christ's own lifetime, where these uh, Galilee as a whole is kind of a, a funny town because it was quite Hellenized and, and such. And so there was some misunderstanding of, uh, or not misunderstanding, there was some like hesitation, mistrust even in the rest of Israel of, of who these people were, or how much were they like true, true Jews or were yeah. they not? But it was for a while that these guys were delighted to pay their their temple tax in every year in kind so they would bring their their barley all this stuff and they 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 fill it up there were no tax collectors it was just the elders of their towns would fill up cartons and they would celebrate as they and they brought it forth to the temple in jerusalem and the in the temple authorities just hated it they're like we don't like these backwoods galileans we don't want your stuff we just want your money and they actually like put their foot down and said, no, pay us in money, not wow. in kind. Yeah. And this was at around yeah. the same period when they actually started to use the Roman mint system entire because they had a higher quantity of silver in their money yeah. than elsewhere. So it was, it was right at the time when money actually became centralized yeah. for the, for Jerusalemites. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So when G- and you point this out, so I, I'm saying it like, uh, isn't this an idea that we've just come to? But <laughs> Jacob hasn't in previous p- places pointed out that when um, Jesus, um, there's this weird scenario where Jesus appears. Well, uh, well, the the temple tax collectors ask Peter if Jesus pays the temple tax, 
and Peter doesn't have an answer to give. Mm -hmm. And I think this gives a context to that hesitation. Like Jesus does not want to participate in the reduction of the real into a money economy, which obviously benefits the wealthy at the expense of the poor. Um, he never has a coin on him, mm -hmm, as you mm -hmm. like to say. Mm -hmm. And um, so while he does pay it uh, for the reason that he says, which is to not give scandal, um, you know, yeah. it, it makes perfect sense why this is a, a problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, addressed in the Gospels. Yeah, right. it all of a sudden becomes a, a point of taboo, like a money becomes taboo yeah. because it, it becomes a mechanism by which s some sort of centralized authority, a sovereign, takes control over a people. Wow. Um, and, and makes, and through taxes, you really do get that wealth without work mentality. So you all of a sudden create a slave class that doesn't really know that they're a slave class mm -hmm. or doesn't really think of themselves in, in that way. Sure. Um, okay, so so this is a huge, huge undertaking. So one, one last thing I'll point out, though, is that of, not about direct taxes, but about money itself, the nature of money we're talking about. And what the you find in the patristic areas, they're, they're just looking sensibly at the type of coinage that they have. And they see that part of the nature of the money is that it is connected in a real sense to the sovereign power, to Caesar. Yeah, it's got his face on it. It got his freaking face on it. Ugly nose, double chin. Well, but no, it, it sounds funny, but I think it's really important. Like, it's not this weird accident. Yeah. For the entire history of money, whenever anyone wants to like make sure that we know this is money, they stamp political power on it or they stamp gods on it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just a thought, but continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that goes back to the origins of money is that it actually has the gods on it. It was always associated with the temple. You gave your taxes to the temple, which was the seat from which the king ruled um, historically, originally. So when, but in the Middle Ages, instead of the kings minting coins and distributing them amongst the people mm -hmm. and saying, hey, this is a part of me, use it. Mm. Now give some, some of it back to me, mm -hmm. go out, use it again. You know, there's this, there's this kind of ebb and flow. A heart almost. Yeah, indeed. It is. A, and, and that's exactly what Hobbes calls it. Is yeah. it like, it's I, I already knew on. you were going to say that. <laughs> I was just queuing you up there. But. Um, yeah, it, it makes the analogy from the heart pumping blood into the system. And, yeah. and uh, but in the Middle Ages, especially, I mean, you see this clearly again in, in Andrew, the period that Andrew has studied so much. King Louis was not in charge of minting coins. Really? The mints were open to anybody who had gold that they wanted to mint. What? Yeah. Sorry, I don't even like I don't even understand that. Yeah, so it's like here's here's mints. The state like does like stamps. Here's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like yeah, mints that you can use. The government was able to say like to to set it up and arrange it and if and they would crack down on you if you were alloying your metal. Sure. Um, and putting the this uh, their the French seal on it. Sure. Like, so they so they're making sure that you're not actual quality dubious in like an action and, and because in, again, if you're giving a payment to somebody that's not full and they're giving you the full reward for that payment, then you're literally stealing from them. Yeah. Wealth without works. And and so this to the King Louis and these kings of Christendom would stomp down on you if yeah. you were doing stuff like that. But 
they the money was not a part of them. It was Whoa. decentralized. If you had gold, you could go to the mint, you could melt it down, you could stamp it, you could use it. What? Yeah, real life. You keep saying it, but it doesn't even like, like its <laughs> implications don't even register. Because I don't, yeah. I, no, I, I literally mean that. Like, because what it seems to suggest is that the money wasn't money in the same way that we mean it, which is that it's something that the state speaks its efficacious word over. Right. And, and this is really, really important is that money for the Middle Ages is brought back closer to barter. Okay. Where you are actually exchanging one good and a real good. And it's good not because anybody said it was good, but because it actually is good. Like gold. Like gold. Yeah. You, you can melt it down. You can melt it down and make it into pretty things. Mm. Yeah. Love them pretty things. <laughs> And uh, and, and it, it's just beautiful, you know. And Heck yeah, it is. It's super beautiful. Yeah, so people get really confused by this. Like, why? Why is gold like so? Like, what's so important about gold? Couldn't we have just used shells? It's like no. Gold's <laughs> super pretty. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and there's there's a part of part of this where it's just I think people ask that question because they they haven't seen real gold, or if they have, it's been like super alloyed because people say that it's soft. And go it's to church, super... bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's... Yeah. So there's there's, and of course you only need goods in certain quantities, and okay. this is yeah. really important as well. Is that you only need so many loaves of bread, you mm -hmm. only need so much gold. Mm -hmm. It keeps things proportional and sensible, and natural. And if you are indeed using natural goods for your exchanges, it, it actually does not even keep sovereign powers at bay that want to control you, but, but also it keeps the vices in your heart at, at bay that want to control you. Mm. Because at this point, it's not just amassment to, to no end. And money will always, it doesn't matter what type of money you have, it's always going to have that temptation. Sure. Um, but if people are more focused on what they need and uh, in in due proportion then and there's nobody claiming hey one thing is is really really important over and above the rest sure. namely the state utilizing that technique through taxes then there's not going to be as big of a pull towards it and and we just see that today okay. i mean it's like middle ages of course people were avaricious they're tempted by hoarding by amassment but gosh, like we've pulled it off. We have hoarded. <laughs> we have amassed in in numbers that just are right. We, we, in order to distribute now, we literally have to print. Yeah, that's <laughs> I. Oh, it's just unbelievable. People need money. Better make some more because yeah, it all. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like okay, we're in the middle of COVID. It's instead of going knocking on the doors of those who have. Yeah, we just say, well, that's impossible. Right. That's They're not going to separate it yep. from them. You know. Yep. 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 <laughs> Wow. Okay. You're blowing my mind. Let's, let's just kind of focus it a bit. Cause I, yeah. I, I think I'm, this is just a hard episode. Yeah. You know what? I'm like, I'm sorry if you guys tuned out, <laughs> I don't because, and it's because I really think money is a paradigm. It is a paradigm. It is not just like, Oh, let's talk about money. And then we'll talk about rugs. It's like, no rugs don't structure. I mean, unless you really like them, they don't structure. <laughs> The way reality appears to you, yeah. such that every time you speak about them, you have to redefine reality itself. I mean, that's yeah. insane. Yep. Okay, but you, you so you and mentioned this is one of the things that, uh, gosh, what's that great French guy's name? Leon Bro, Leon, Leon, Leon. He's a French guy. Okay, you gotta give me more of the French guy. <laughs> Pretty sure he was white-ish. Emmanuel Macron. No, no, no. he lived. He lived a long time ago. Nicolas de Lira. Leon Bro. 
Bruch, Bruch. I don't know. I can't. I don't I know what you're talking it. about. So just say the quote. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> he says that um, for the uh, for the people, yeah. money. It, I mean, he makes this money sacrament uh, connection explicitly because the the, uh, the bourgeois become the priest who stand over the table and declare that it is it is 1099 so it changes its nature and they hold it up in holy reverence wow in just as a priest does oh my he makes this analogy and says just as you have the round wafer you have the round coin which changes the world and reorients us to worship and so when when you have this transubstantiation that occurs in all transactions, that is something that we all immediately need to be aware that we are making that change in our own mind and thus in our own heart and in our own action so that we are not welcoming in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but the worthless Caesar who has refused to bow down to the natural order that God himself has set and in so far attempts to supplant him as the true sovereign. <laughs> that's, that's fire. Okay, so so walk with me here. All right. I just I'm a I'm a guy with stubs for legs in this situation. So mm-hmm. we've got this pagan technique mm-hmm. by which rulers mm-hmm. amass power mm-hmm. over people and and by consequence we're kind of arguing that our nation is pagan and that our rulers are doing the same thing but you're pointing to this time in which money was given a kind of redemption or at least had the stretch towards its redemption yeah yeah you've pointed out two things uh direct taxes mm-hmm. okay and then the decentralization of the creation of money itself mm-hmm. right both of which seem to be right on track with what mm-hmm, you're saying. Mm-hmm. Is it not the case, though, I, I, and I literally don't know, that King Louis, in the instance you gave, could yeah. do something equivalent to like what our states do and say, hey, the standard coin, whatever it is, is not yeah. worth that much anymore? Or like, yeah. like, isn't there still sovereign control over money in, in Christendom? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely not. No, he does not have the ability to to change the natural order. Because part of the reason why gold and silver were used is because it was somewhat rare. Sure. And so it the, the value of it wouldn't change all that much. It's very rare when you go out and find a bunch of it. And then like the value of gold changes dramatically because all of a sudden you have so much more of it. And that did happen once the... Uh, what do, you, what do you call like the Christopher Columbus's explorers of the world went out? Mm-hmm. There was a point in um, early 16th century as they were all going out, like Spain for its part, saw a devaluation of gold by a third. Um, so it's purchasing profit or purchasing power plummeted because they found so much more wow. of it. Wow. And again, that's like they went go to find it out of greed and such. Absolutely, um, yeah, and, and use a lot of, of violence to get it. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, the the sacrament is, in a sense, memorializes the bloodshed yeah. over it too, um, the quasi-sacrament of money in that case. But, uh, but for Louis and for the good kings of Christendom, you didn't have 
power over the natural order. God said that. He said, set how much gold was in the world, how much silver was in the world. And its rarity is is good for, for being a measure of a unit of account and a measure of exchange. But it, that has to be followed in the way that God said it. It's not just the arbitrary will of, of the sovereign that tells you how much gold there actually is or silver sure. there actually is. And that's what fiat currency, our current money that we have, often called debt money, the legal tender that yeah. we make trades with. It's like that is gold because the state has declared it's gold and it is valuable to a certain extent based upon how much the state has said it's valuable. Yeah. Uh, and so... And I and I guess we should also include, like, uh, just include the idea of the market within the state there, which is what... Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I, that's I, very I important to I, do. I, I don't want people to give you like a like an easy like slap back to be like, oh, well, the state can't on its own just declare prices. Yeah, but the, yeah, exactly. But I but, think everybody knows that that big hudge and gudge, as Chesterton said, big business and big state are in bed together. Big, and Big bank. <laughs> big bank. And the state operates as 30% of, of our economy today. Oh, wow. So I mean, it, in real ways, it, and that's just directly... Sure. So there's real real ways that these these operating forces are are not in tension with one another, okay. like the average Democrat and average Republican okay. think on the street. Okay, they're really operating in in a unified way. All right. Well, then speedball because we, you know we gotta we gotta kind of. So what can you do here. to ensure no, that? No, 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 not yet, no, no, yet. no, 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 no. I want to know what else in the Middle Ages. What else was changed about money? And, <laughs> and you don't don't feel as much a need to justify um, its kind of intricacy. Just Tell me the ways in which money was redeemed. Yeah. So I think the biggest ways is that it was the nature of money was no longer attached to the king. Sure. Uh, money was not devalued or excuse me, <laughs> that happened quite a bit, but it was condemned. It was considered inappropriate. And for, and for quite some time it, it didn't happen. And, and people would call out the Kings for doing that and they would reform. Uh, the big thing when you devalue currency is that you can, again, make people work for you. Um, and, and again, that's what the state does today when they print money. Uh, the, there's limited indirect taxes. Mm -hmm. And uh, lastly, when the lords accepted the payments of, of their people, they would accept anything, not just money. So, mm -hmm. So it wasn't just from the king down; it was even the lords were accepting any type of good that well, they needed. Well, I think that I can pay my income tax in wheat, right? I'm just kidding. I That'd know be I awesome. <laughs> I wish that were true. Uh, no, I mean, even if you make in America today, barter is illegal in so many states. If you did make money through barter or like equivalent value, say you know we were trading bread and bikes, and I got the better of you one year, I would still have to pay that gain in terms of money i mean it's just crazy so right because you get taxed on yeah your... yeah and and i think and there's no no doubt part of once you and this is really important too once you are no longer compelled to pay an obscene tax every year it is at that point that you don't actually have to work as many long hours so people think about subsistence farmers having to get up the crack of dawn and work until the sun goes down. It's like, 
the medieval peasants, the peasants were ending their days at the Angelou spell. That's at noon. So they're, they're done working at that time because all they, they have to pay their Lord a little bit. Absolutely. They do. He manages the town. Um, and they are using his land, land that he cannot use. Uh, so there's absolutely like still payments that are needed to make, but goodness, if you're still ending your days at noon, you're doing pretty well. And that doesn't even count the feast days. And that doesn't even count the feast days, which were so much more regular than, than we have them now. Yeah. So again, if you are in this state where you are not, um, not for want, you know, and you are producing things and in communion with other people, yeah. then, then you are actually going to focus more on the people themselves and the needs that they have and meeting them directly than indirectly. Yeah. Because that, your whole yeah. system is, is eschewing the indirect sure. in, a, in exchange for the direct. And, and that's why those different methods of doing that are criminalized largely by the state. Right. Exactly. Because they can't, they can't see it. Yeah. And it brings you back to the natural reality that God himself created hmm. in exchange for the fake reality, the legal fictions that the powers that be enchant us with yes, and inculcate is, us in. Again, and we always have to make caveats. It's not like it's bad to have legal fictions per se. I mean, like this is a, a critique that I think is silly because it's just, it's just short-sighted, but, but to advocate for withdrawing ourselves from the, the manner in which um, money is used to amass power mm -hmm. um, is not to say things like there should be no political power or like taxing oh, itself dude. is bad. Yeah, absolutely. Or like, like if taxing itself was bad, then Christ would never would have told us to pay a tax, you know, <laughs> like, like if it was pure evil, like, yeah, like so, absolutely. but I think people hear this and they, and the imagination is it's difficult within a money economy to imagine any, any regular, like a, re a real regulation of money, mm -hmm. like by people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. seems impious. Mm -hmm. Like our piety is to, to do the things that a money economy demands, pay your taxes, consume consumer goods yeah. often, um, save insurance, da, 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 anything. Yeah. Cause when you're saving other people are using your money. I mean, that's, that's a point you're making here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. 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 To put your money in a bank is to offer it up for the stock market. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Eat. <laughs> Um, uh, so, so I just want to make that it, really, I'm just making a, a kind of like a block on that particular attack. Like, yeah. no, that's not what that means. It doesn't mean that you're like, okay, now, now we think that coins are evil or something. No. Yeah. It's well, just like to use them. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and Maybe so ours are evil. I don't know. I, I think ours are evil. It's got God on them. Though. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Never mind. I take it back. And eagles are pretty. <laughs> yeah, they've never symbolized anything bad. <laughs> well, you. I think the biggest thing that I mean, I think as we're kind of running through this, a lot of people are going to have those kind of pings in our heart, or in their heart, or just in their their sensibilities are going to say, "Wow, this is a little bit insane." And and th there might be something of this that's, that's insane. I mean, being radicalized is does change the way in which your your thought process goes and so what seems to be normal rational uh this the normal rationality that you use to walk through life is yeah. being fundamentally questioned mm -hmm. um but 
again, I would just kind of welcome everybody to taking some time to reconsider this, to return to the Gospels, to see that Jesus' radical claim is not um, him being fictitious or dramatic for drama's own sake, um, but he's really calling us into a different mode of life. Yeah. Um, and so, and, to, and try it out. That's the other thing that I would say. Try it out. Well, let's, and, let, and, I think we need to tell people what, like, you, you were going this way and I stopped you because I wanted to hear more about the Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> so, like, let's say you're convinced sort of abstractly. Okay. Mm -hmm, All mm -hmm. right. So money at this point is a quasi-sacrament wielded by the state to increase its, its um, power. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds likely anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, all right, and so the Christian call is and uh, has already historically been a reformation of this pagan technique, right? Yeah, to yeah. put it within strict collars and bonds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> bonds. Um, what can we do practically to experience some glimpse of Christendom in our hearts? Yeah, absolutely. The, the first thing to do is be able to create something yourself. Mm. which is awesome. Even if it's just baking a loaf of bread, use that analogy a lot, but it's easy. So it's a good starting place. Um, or roasting coffee or brewing beer or, you know, making something, a bookshelf, you know, whatever it is. Small, small scale machining. Just to put a different... Uh, <laughs> nice. I like it. Everyone uh, calls everyone calls me a hobbit. So I like my examples are just different. Yeah. <laughs> Make your own guns. There. Are you guys happy? <laughs> Uh, and and trade them with somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. Get rid of the mediator. Mm -hmm. Go go direct. Um, another another thing is just just give random gifts. I think that's a, that's a big thing. Is that again get rid of the mediator. Um, I I really think that knowing exactly what your money is for, it, which we talked about, is one of the rules of money is is really helpful at this mm. place and we'll eventually talk about dc schindler's thesis that um we modern liberals are obsessed with potential instead of actual but always having the actual in mind so in other words like you know five dollars could be anything you know but it also could be two coffees and always thinking about those two coffees yeah, or, yeah. or whatever it'd be. Yeah. And, and cause this is an important point. Like, and that's just slowly training your mind to rethink about reality yes. instead of right. fictions, which, which I should get like the, the hope here, like there's a real hope in, in this because it's not the case that we like see red and believe that there aren't any real things. There's just quantities. Like if you actually are buying something, Oh yeah. The actual like yeah, human no, it's important to the say. human yeah. reality is that the the money is transparent to the thing. Like it is for that thing. And when we exchange, we don't actually engage in this kind of state worship. And and I know we've just been talking like we have because I think that's a a, a it is happening. And so it's useful to point out in that in that terminology. But it's actually um, what actually happens is a kind of mediated barter. So like, I want this thing. We agree that this is a good medium for exchanging it and we exchange it right now. It is true that we exist within an economy and a system in which that simple, like good mm -hmm. is, is scraped of its value for the sake of, um, amassing power. That's true, but we should have great hope in our ability to really 
continue to live in the world of things and stuff. Yeah. Like we, we can say no to the temptation to try and quantify everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a very small little victory, but the truth is they don't have to have your heart. They don't have to have your head either. Um, I think another, I'll uh, toss, toss another. So if, if trading, uh, gift giving yeah. and always having in mind yeah. something else that you're the, real thing. the, 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 the thing that the placeholder was holding a place Primacy for. Primacy of the real. Yeah. Oh, no, I do sound like Schindler. You do. That's awesome though. Uh, then another thing is as soon as you like stumble upon money, just find 200 bucks, somebody just sends you money, spend it right away. Unless you're like trying to climb out of debt or something like that, which we'll talk about at some point. We, I, I think getting it like avoiding debt is really important. That's why Proverbs says like, you know, do not rest until you are out of, out of debt from your neighbor's hand. And, and that's just, you know, there's, there's many ways of, of doing that. And, um, we have to talk about balancing that with also being generous and cultivating liberality. Jubilees. And ju- yeah, <laughs> jubilees, certainly. But, um, but you spend it right away. Don't keep it and think, Oh, I'll come across something at some point, spend it. Um, and, and, and replace it for something real. Sandbox. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, really briefly, just to, just to give a little, anecdote of this um my wife and i have a rule that if we ever get a windfall and we weren't expecting the money we have to buy a dinner we have to throw a dinner party as a way of doing this right of just not letting money um blind us which trust me i do so this is not a virtue signal (laughs) Uh, there's a reason i had to have a rule (laughs) um and so the other day we were uh wrapping up a night and there was a pt cruiser in our backyard no no lie on top of my child's sandbox <laughs> and no person in sight. And so we just like went to bed. Like, that's interesting. I wonder if someone was praying for a PT cruiser. Um, in the morning, anyways, we end up the guy whose PT cru- cruiser it was. Uh, well, this is after you like get into the car and find the title in the yeah, car right, and have to track say. down yeah. the person whose name we was on it. We find the guy, I should say. Yeah. And he comes over and he's like, hey, did you lose your PT Cruiser? Oh, yeah, I guess I did misplace it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he had this sort of dubious tale of it being stolen uh, despite having the keys and despite it being a PT Cruiser. <laughs> but as part of what seemed to be his guilt for maybe potentially someone close to him or himself having been in such a state that he could have left a PT cruiser on top of a sandbox and walked away, <laughs> walked away into the night. Uh, he, he went to pay us $200 for this sandbox, which to be clear was a gift from our neighbor, actually a little kitty swimming pool that he filled with sand that he was using to make concrete. <laughs> so like really we had minus money into this thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when we got the two hundred dollars, we were like, "It's it's steak time, baby." It's steak, baby. It's <laughs> so steak, long, baby. long, ridiculous story for the sake of saying, uh, "What? Oh, that you know, money's no boss of you." Yeah, no yeah. money's no boss of you. And this is just you know one thing that we say over and over and over is that uh, so many of the things in our current life seem to be lords over us instead of us lords over. Yeah, it. absolutely. And so when Christ gives us the command or, you know, God in the garden to Adam and Eve to have dominion, yeah. he's also, you know, giving this adverse 
yeah. the command not to be dominated yeah. by any of this. And, right. and, and so this is one of the things that we, we must not be dominated by. Yeah, money. And, and Paul Paul sort of brings us to theological completion when he says that which overcomes a man is, is that which enslaves him. Yes, yeah. Um, and so like if we are overcome by money, if it, it becomes what we act for and what dictates the shape of our actions yeah. rather than us saying like, no, buddy, you're like, I'm going to do what I want with you. Yeah. Um, then, then we're slaves. Yeah. Then we're slaves. Yeah. Then yeah. We're slaves. So <sighs> money is sacrament. Money is a weirdo sacrament. Quasi sacrament. Yep. And, mm. and, and if that stresses you out, like you're, um, am I living in like a weird witch world? Um, maybe it should stress you out a little more, but like <laughs> Christ has his victory over money. Yeah, he does. Um, it's right there in your heart. You have the full capacity for it. And we've already seen it played out historically, right? And not just in the Middle Ages. Like we see it every time people sort of creatively think. I mean, even in the pandemic, there were some small towns that just decided to develop their own currency and they made it out of like pieces of wood. Yeah. And, and like right there yeah. you had like a, a really medieval impulse. Yeah. Like right. we're not so beaten down as to not be able to think um, beyond the logic of money. Right. Absolutely. And, um, so, Yeah. Got any good ideas for how to um, break out of the money economy? Email us. <laughs> <laughs> Mark at newpolity.com. Yeah, and Jacob, Jacob at newpolity.com. Uh, and thanks so much. This was a really tough one, guys. So, like, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for your patience. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Jacob. All right, bye. <laughs>